It's good to have you guys tonight. I hope you're ready and expectant to dive into the Word and see what God's got for us tonight. We've been uh, going through the journey to the promised land from Abraham all the way to Moses and the Israelites, and we've gotten to a point a couple weeks back, we talked about Moses, one of the last things he wrote. Uh, You may not know, but Moses wrote one of the Psalms. Psalm chapter 90 was written by Moses. And when Moses wrote that psalm, he spoke about the frailty of man, but the eternal nature of God. He, I, I, sometimes, I sometimes think about the honor that the culture of the time placed on their elders, people that had lived long enough to know something. And it's my prayer and my hope that we would bring that honor back to our own society. Because we do live in a society today that doesn't honor um, the wisdom of age. We, we kind of say the target market is the 18 to 35, and that's where it's at, and, and let the young ones lead. And I say that knowing I might be shooting myself in the foot because I'm in that group, but I believe that we should have a culture of honor that says uh, God has put some things in some of our elders in the room and elders in the group um, that that you don't get just by reading a book, that you don't get just by um, going to school, that you only get by walking through some things and trusting God on the way. And Moses had some things to say in his, as an old man that I'm sure he wasn't familiar with as a young man. Very, very similar to what David said as an old man or Solomon said as an old man in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Moses began to realize as, as a whole generation was dying out, because remember, before they could go into the promised land, the previous generation that refused uh, all died eventually. Some of them died, you know, because of sudden reasons. Some of them just died because they got old. But a whole generation died, and Moses was one of the last ones to die of that generation. So he's constantly getting reports, this person died, this person died. And he's, he's forced to, to recognize how, how brief, how frail this life is. And he begins to talk about even, even how frail life is, God is eternal. He says something that, I know we've talked about this, but it stuck with me, where he said, oh God, you've been our dwelling place since before the mountains were formed. Since before anything was created, we, we were in you. He understood that there was something beyond himself, that this journey he was on went beyond um, simply his lifetime. And I'd like you to turn in the book of Deuteronomy because that ties into what we're talking about tonight. It's my hope that, that, that as believers, we begin to have a, more of an eternal perspective. It's very easy for us to uh, get obsessed with what's going to happen in the next three, four years, even the next year. And, and make that all our focus. But we are part of something eternal. We're part of something much bigger than us. You know, this journey that they went on, even the things that God promised to Abraham, the, we're tied to those promises. We're part of that. The scripture says we're Abraham's descendants by faith. So there's something we're tied to. We're tied, we're tied to a story that goes to the beginning of time. We're tied to God's story that he's writing throughout humanity. And so if you're in that, if you believe that, if that's the way you think, then you're thinking beyond your lifetime. You are looking back, but you're also looking ahead. 
You know, the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that there's a race that's being run, and it's not just you individually. You're part of a large race of all of us running out this race for, for, for God's glory. And it says there are, there's a whole cloud of witnesses watching us who've gone before us. And it says this, without us, their race would not be finished. We're part of what they started. Sometimes we can get so arrogant and believe that what we're doing is the most important thing in the world. And it's important because we're doing it. And this is it. This is me. This is the most important thing anybody's ever done. But the truth is, you're a part in a large story. If you begin to see that, it humbles you, doesn't it? Because you go, well, I didn't start anything. I'm not, I'm not doing anything new. I'm part of something that goes way back. But also you begin to look ahead and care about what happens after you're dead. I do believe Jesus is coming again. I believe he's coming again. I believe it could be tomorrow. It also could be 100 years. I don't know. But I know this. He's coming back soon. The only I say soon, and I read in the Bible that my definition of soon may not be his definition of soon. So I need to say, all right, God, I'm okay with whatever your definition of soon is. Because the scripture says the reason he delays is not because he's slow, but because he's patient. Because he wants more people to come to repentance, more people to know him. That's why he's waiting. He's not waiting because he's, he's slow or, or, or lazy. It's because he loves people. And that leaves us with a role because if he's waiting for people to know him, that leaves us a part to play, doesn't it? I believe that soon is, is soon. To me, I feel the urgency of that. I really believe if you live every day like he's coming tomorrow, you'll be doing well. I think that's the way to live life. And I'm not telling you to sell your house right? <laughs> He's coming tomorrow. But I'm saying if you'll live with the urgency that this might be your last day. Even if he didn't come back, it could be your last day. So there's this urgency, but at the same time, even if 150 years down the road, we're still waiting on the return of Jesus, you got to think, what did you invest that went past your lifetime? What did we invest in eternity that mattered? What's going to last at the end of time? Are we thinking eternal? Like we talked about two weeks ago, what are we doing that matters in eternity and matters beyond 2016? I'm a music lover. I'm a musician. I'm a music lover. And I've noticed that uh, quite a bit of the songs that exist in our pop culture repertoire have to do with things that are happening right now in the next five minutes. I got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night, right? Like this is the thought that everything... That matters is going to happen tonight at the club. And it's, it's a product of a culture that puts value on the immediate. It's a fast food culture. But we come to Jesus and we learn we're part of a bigger story. A story that goes way back and a story that goes way in the, ahead. And we begin to think like he thinks, which is eternal. Are we investing in eternity? So here, in Deuteronomy... Moses is recounting something to the Israelites, and it almost seems like an angry rant if you read it. <laughs> Maybe not an angry rant, but a rant nonetheless. He's talking about how the, the people of Israel rejected God's plan for them to go into the promised land. And then he said in, verse, in chapter 3, in verse 23, he said, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Oh, Lord God, you've begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. 
For what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. He would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Now, at this point, Moses blames it on the people. God was, God was upset with me because of you, you guys. You spoiled it for all of us. But that wasn't the entire truth. Because later on in, in the book, we find out that the real reason Moses couldn't go in wasn't just because of the people. It was because he lost his temper with the people. So because he couldn't control himself, he disobeyed God. God told him to speak to the rock. What did he do? He smacked it. God had told him to strike the rock a different time. This time he just did it just because the people were pressuring him. The people were frustrated. He got frustrated with them. He acted in anger. He acted impulsively. And he, he demonstrated um, something that had been kind of rolling around him in a while. And he missed out on his chance. He missed out on his shot. But Joshua and Caleb, they got to go in. And Moses said, God said enough. Don't talk to me about this anymore. But go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and the north and the south and the east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people, and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. If you follow the story, there's a moment where Moses finally does. He climbs the mountain, and God gives him a chance to see the land he's been talking about for decades. And he looks at it, and he finally gets to see it. You know, when they came to the doorway of the promised land, the gates of the promised land, the, the borders of the promised land, he didn't get to see what the spies saw. He, saw. he sent 12 spies in who got to go and check the land out. Moses wasn't one of them. So Moses has never gotten to see the land he's been talking about for a generation. The land he went to Egypt saying, God's going to bring you to this land. The land he fought for. The land he prayed for. The land he struggled for. He's not going to get to walk in it. But God does him a favor and says, come to the top of the mountain and I'm going to show it to you. I believe that was a holy moment. I believe it was a good moment, a rich moment, where Moses got to stand up. And he said this. He, before he went, he wrote a song and he gave a speech. God told them, write a song because there's going to be a day where these people forget who brought them in. And they're going to need a song to remind them to turn back to God. So Moses wrote a song and he said, learn this song and sing it. Then he spoke to the people and he blessed them. And when he blessed them, it was such a rich blessing. It's the kind of blessing that an elder gives to a younger generation. And he blesses them. Then he takes that long journey by himself up the mountain. Before he goes, he says, I'm an old man, but my eyes are still as good as they were back then. And thank God for that because he uses those eyes to look far into the distance and see the beautiful land that God promised him. Some of you already understand what that's like. To not be able to walk into something yourself, but to still feel like you're, you're getting to participate in it because your kids are going. I've known old people... <laughs> That's kind of a weird way to say it. I've known elderly people, I've known grandparents, great-grandparents, that got just as much joy, if not more joy, out of knowing that their grandkids were going to see something that they've been praying for than if they had got to see it themselves. 
Now that's love and that's the heart of God. Abraham, when he first was setting Isaac up with a wife. Now, many of you today are pretty glad we don't do it that way. You know, that, that your dad doesn't send out his top staff member to go find a wife for you and bring it back. You're, you're, you're glad it doesn't work that way anymore, but that was the way they did things back then. And one of the things Abraham makes his servant promise him is he says, promise me you won't let my son go back to where I started from. So promise me. Whatever you do, swear to me on this day, you won't take my son back where I started. Why? Because it's the heart of the father that says, my kids will go further than I went. They'll see what I only dreamed of. They'll walk in the gardens and the vineyards and the, and the fields that I've prayed for and I've sowed into. That's the heart of somebody who's gone beyond themselves and began to fellowship with the same spirit that God has, which is a heart was that that attitude of looking at things through an eternal perspective. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced, even though he didn't get to walk in it. Abraham looked ahead and and when God said, your descendants will get this land. The Bible says Abraham could have lived in a city, in a fancy house in a nice city, but instead he chose to live in a tent in the promised land. And this promised land wasn't his yet. But God said, I'll give it to your descendants. Now, many people would just be like, well, no, I don't care about them. I don't care about those punks, those little rugrats. Give it to me. I want it now. But I really believe a a godly person is going to say, all right. Man, I'll rejoice. Abraham rejoiced that his great, 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 great grandchildren would walk in that land. Some of you already know what that's like. You know what it's like to look at your grandkids and say, you're going to go further. You know what it's like for your kids to say, I fought for this and I fought this battle so you could do this. Moses is faced with the tragic truth that he's not going to be able to walk into the land he's been talking about for over 50 years. It's been over 40 years since he got to the promised land, but God has been talking to him for longer than that. Moses is struck with the reality that he won't get to walk in it, but God does him a favor and lets him see it. When he looks over into the land, the scripture says, then he died and God buried him. I don't know about you. I think you got to be a special person for God to bury you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because the last thing he saw with his eyes was the promised land. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11, which says, by faith, Joseph made arrangements about his bones. What does that mean? Joseph said, we live in Egypt because God brought us into Egypt to take care of us because there's a famine. But when you go to the promised land, dig me up and take my bones with you. See, that's somebody that cares about something beyond their own life. I ask you again, what have we sowed into eternity that goes beyond our own lifetime? When Moses is faced with the truth that he can't go into the promised land, he's not just left bitter, saying, well, if I can't go in, no one can go in. I'm taking my ball and going home. No, God says, but Joshua will go in. So what's your job? Strengthen and encourage Joshua. 
It is our responsibility. I don't care if you're 20 tonight or if you're 92. It's our responsibility to strengthen and encourage those that are coming behind us. How do you do that? How do you strengthen and encourage them? We're going to see this in a minute, and I'm sure many of you know where I'm going with this. Because here's exactly what Moses did with that. But you strengthen and encourage Joshua. And then, of course, if we were to turn in our script, in our, in our Bibles to Deuteronomy 31. So we started at the beginning of the book. Now we're going to skip to the, near the end of it. Moses speaks to the people of Israel. He tells them about, he says, I'm old, I'm no longer longer able to go with you. But he says this in verse 6, be strong. He speaks to the children of Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Notice that Moses didn't just say, be strong and courageous. And in fact, as many times as we're going to see be strong and courageous in the next two books... It's never spoken by itself. It's not just a be strong and courageous. It's always a be strong and courageous for. I'm not going to just tell you be strong and courageous. I'm going to tell you how and why you can be strong and courageous. What's his reasoning? Be strong and courageous because you guys are tougher than we were. Be strong and courageous because we got new technology. Be strong and courageous because there's more of you. No. Be strong and courageous For the Lord your God is the one that goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do you know their parents, the parents of these kids that are going in, these aren't kids anymore, they're grown people. But their parents, the reason they didn't go in, remember the reason they didn't go in? They said, we're too small. We're we're not mighty enough. We can't do it. Because they put all the emphasis on themselves. They forgot it's not about us. If God is with us, and this is what Joshua and Caleb said, if God is with us, we can go in. So Moses makes sure he says to the people, for God goes with you. Then in the next verse, then Moses called to Joshua, and he said to him in the sight of all Israel, he put his arm around him and said this. At least I picture him putting his arm around him. Be strong and courageous, for you will go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you will give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. It's it's become in vogue for one generation to bash the other. You know, some of us young people, when we... We finally do something. We say, oh, they did it wrong back then. Oh, they didn't know what we know. And we act so arrogant about what we're doing. Rather than, like I said earlier, rather than honoring those who fought battles before us. You know, you can't. It's a mistake for you to grab somebody out of their place in history and put them in your history and say they did things wrong. You didn't live when they lived. You didn't know what they went through. I'm sure they made mistakes, but that was a different time. You don't know what you would have done in that time. That doesn't mean we can't say they did some things wrong. But you can do it with honor because we're going to do some things wrong too. And we sure want our grandkids to look back and, and take into account that sometimes we did the best with what we had. 
Sometimes we had to fight battles they are not even familiar with. You know, I think about, I, I think about sometimes the way we spoke about my grandfather's generation. We talked about how sometimes they were cold. You know, the men didn't, didn't talk about things as much. They went in the living room to be alone, but we forget that many of those same men went off and fought wars. They had to see things that they couldn't repeat that messed them up, and there wasn't the therapy that there is now. You just, had, you just internalized it. And we understand now that maybe the way they acted was the best they were doing with the situation. Maybe the best they could do at the time was to make sure there was food on the table and that you knew you were loved, even if, you didn't, even if they didn't know how to communicate that. Because they had to fight a battle so that we didn't have to. I know there are guys my age who are all fighting wars right now. But sure, not the level. It's not the amount of a whole generation like it was, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Here, something that's important is that he says to them, as much as we want honor for the previous, sometimes the elder generation, you know, kind of gets upset with the younger ones. And they say they're slackers or they're... You know, they just, what I hear a lot is this. Have you ever heard this where someone says, this is the participation trophy generation? Anybody heard that? You guys are taking it very seriously. Like, yes, I've heard that. It wounded me. Somebody will say, oh, this is the, this is the generation. They'll talk about me and my, my age group. And they'll say, this is the generation. They got trophies just for participating. And somebody, I saw somebody on Twitter say it so well. They said, you guys were in charge of the trophies. That was your job. You gave us trophies. That's not our fault. We were just kids. We didn't ask for trophies. You gave us trophies. Either way, we had, I think the enemy wants to take and separate the hearts of the fathers with the hearts of the kids. I don't want to go into it now, but you've heard me say it before. We've talked about it before, that one of the last things that's said in the Old Testament and one of the first things that's said in the New Testament is that God wants to reunite the hearts of the fathers to the kids and the kids to the fathers and the mothers to the kids and the kids to the mothers, that he's going to reunite the hearts of generations. He's going to heal the wounds. He's going to heal the breaches. He's going to bridge the gap. He's going to do it with honor. And here's what he says. He will not fail you or forsake you. So here's my point. In all of that, talking about the divide, rather than bashing the other generation, what if we encouraged that generation? What if we spoke life into it, even when we don't see it? Remember, we serve a God who came to Gideon when Gideon is hiding and said, hello, valiant warrior. Hail, valiant warrior. Mighty man of God. Gideon says, you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong number. That's not me. Because God speaks things into existence. I want you to, this is what I believe. And we talked about this on Monday night with some of the men. This is what I believe. I believe that the same God, the same God who through Jesus looked at somebody and said, be made whole and they got better, is the same God who when he says, be strong and courageous, even if they didn't feel strong and courageous, strength and courage come. This is the same God that said, light be, and light came into existence. God's words create things that aren't there. So you can speak to someone and say, be strong and be courageous. And when it's the word of God, it 
puts courage in him. Remember, what was Moses told to do? Strengthen and encourage Joshua. Give him strength and give him courage. How did Moses do that? Did he do it by flattering him and saying, Joshua, you have skills, man. You got skills I didn't have. You know, did he, did he do it by trying to build him up and saying, look at all the things you can do, buddy. You are a precious snowflake. You, you, you have, oh, look at your biceps. Oh, man, you're smarter than I was. No, he doesn't do it by flattering Joshua's ego. What does he do? He puts Joshua's confidence in God. He doesn't say, be strong and courageous because you can do this, buddy. He doesn't say, be strong and courageous because look at you've got a good team. He says, be strong and courageous because God goes before you and he goes with you and he will not fail you. You see, so often, listen, if a football coach says to a player, don't fumble the ball, whatever you do, don't fumble the ball. Just don't fumble the ball. Please don't fumble the ball. What is that player thinking the whole time? Fumble the ball, fumble the ball. That's the image in his head. But if the coach says, hang on to the ball, whatever you do, I don't care how many times they hit you. I don't care what comes after you. You hang on to that ball. What does he see himself doing? Hanging on to the ball. So often we speak out of fear. We act out of fear. We speak out. We, we project our fears onto these people. We, we project our fears onto the next generation. Here's what I fear about you. Here's what you're doing wrong. Instead of saying, listen, be strong. Take courage because the same God that went with me is going with you. And he goes ahead of you and he goes behind you and he surrounds you. And he, he doesn't say, don't worry, you won't fail. He says, he will not fail. Because if we put the emphasis on God not failing, that's going to keep you from failing. If you have faith and confidence in a God who doesn't fail, it keeps you from failing because your hope's in him. You know, the Bible tells us that the only real way for us to fail as believers is if our heart fails us. What does that mean? We give up, we quit because we lose hope. We stop running. You'll win the race if you keep running. But we stop. The scripture says you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that after doing the will of God, you will receive, and, and in the proper time, you'll receive what was promised. He says, be imitators of those who through faith and impatience, faith and patience, inherit the promises of God. He says, don't lose heart. Don't faint. Don't, don't lose your confidence for in due season you will get your harvest if you don't give up. Later on in verse, chapter 31, after Moses writes this song, he says in verse 23, he commissions Joshua, the son of Nun, and he says, be strong and courageous. So he's saying it again. For you will bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. And it came about when Moses finished writing the words of the law in a book until they were complete, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, telling them to put the book of the law and place it beside the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may remain there as a witness against you. Skipping ahead to Joshua, chapter 1. Verse 1 says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, 
Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which, which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea, toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And don't turn from the right or to the left, that you may have success wherever you go. The book, this book of the law, will not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said something three times. There's significance in the Bible when God says something three times. We won't go into it tonight, but it's significant. You better be paying attention if God says something three times. Forget, forget symbolism. If anybody tells you something three times, it means something. It's probably important. God says in the same speech, what does he keep saying? Be strong and courageous. And here's why. Here's a thought. Joshua heard this through the mouth of Moses way before he heard it through the mouth of God. God's going to use you to speak some things to people that they're not ready to even hear on their own. Somebody's got to say it. We're the voice that says some things and speaks some things into people's lives that they, they don't even have the capacity to believe for themselves yet. You've experienced this, haven't you? You look somebody in the eye whose hope was gone. You look people in the eye who thought nothing of themselves. And right now, if God were to scream at them, you can do this, they would say, no, that's not God. And sometimes God's going to use you to look them in the eyes and say, be strong. Take courage. For God's with you. He will not fail you. He will not leave you. He'll be with you wherever you go. And after Moses said it multiple times to Joshua, then Joshua hears it direct from God. Later on, he has a meeting with his officers, the heads. And these officers come and they meet with him and he says, this is what we plan to do. Are you guys with me? And they say, we're with you. Only be strong and be courageous. For God is with you wherever, they go, wherever you go. So God said it through Moses. God said it directly, and then God used the people to say it back to him. That's how ingrained it is in his heart and mind. I want to read you something from Psalm 78. And I love this chapter. In fact, I use this chapter sometimes when we're dedicating and praying over these new babies. I don't talk to the babies about it because the babies don't understand what I'm saying. But we talk to the parents. There's such a responsibility on us. Whether you're a parent or not, there's a responsibility on you for the next generation. Your kids should go where you couldn't go. Your kids should be able to go where you, your legs couldn't take you. That's a blessing. That's not a curse. That's a blessing. That's the blessing of God that says your kids will go further. Do you know it was part of the curse? Part of the curse of the law in the Old Testament was that your kids 
would go and serve other gods. And another part of the curse was that they'd have to start over. In the blessing of God, there's not starting over. There's building. Grace upon grace. Foundation upon foundation. We go further. I know. I know this because my dad told me this more than once. The thing that would make him feel most happy is that after he went on to go be with Jesus, after he went on to be with the Lord, that I would go further than he went. He didn't want, like any good father, you don't want your kids to look back and say, my dad was the high point, my mom was the, I mean, nobody would be better than her. I mean, of course, we say that, but as parents, what you want is your kids to take the ball further down the field. You want them to run where you handed them the baton. You want them to build on foundations that you laid. Not so that you can say, look, you couldn't do this without me, kid, but rather so that they don't have to lay that same foundation. David fought battles that Solomon never had to fight so that Solomon could build the temple of God. We We all talk about Solomon being so wise and Solomon built the great temple. But who got the blueprints? Who made the connections that got all the materials for the, for the temple? It was David. God said to David, you're a man of blood, so you can't build my temple, but your son will. David said, I want to build you a house. Look at the palace I live in, and, and there's a tent that we worship you in. Why don't you get a better house than me? And God says, you can't do it. You're a man. You got blood on your hands. But I'm going to build your house. You see, to some people, that wouldn't matter. Well, who cares what my great-grandkids do? I don't care about that. What good does that do me? But to David, that was a joy. God said to him, your descendants are going to be great. Your descendants, through your line, I'm going to send salvation. And David rejoiced in this. I believe that's the heart of a godly person that says, I'm happy when those behind me Go further. I'm happy, even, even if I die. You know, King Hezekiah was a good man, but he betrayed some of his, his own wounds and his own flaws when the Lord told him, I, I'll prolong your life if you want that. But there are, there are enemies coming in, and they will invade your land, and they'll take this, and they'll take your, your grandkids as slaves. And Hezekiah says, well, that's sad, but as long as it doesn't happen in my lifetime. I don't believe that was the right heart. The heart of God says, I care about those that come behind me. Psalm 78 says this, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. They're not dark because they're depressing. They're dark. What he means is, I'm going to say some things not a lot of people know. They're hidden things. They're, They're truths I had to live a long time to get. They're truths my parents had to tell me. It's not super obvious. He says this, which we've heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but we will tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Of course, as we've been reading all of this, I've said this before, but as we've been reading all these scriptures, you might see in your Bible, Lord being capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's because it's not just the name Adonai, which means master or king, but it's the name Yahweh. When God says, I, Yahweh, will go with you. When Moses says to Joshua, for Yahweh will be with you wherever you go. 
He's putting a name, the name that God revealed to them, the name that contains his character and his nature. It's more than just some figurehead up in the sky. It's someone they know. It's God has revealed himself to them. And here he says the same thing. You will, they will come, tell them, the generations to come, the praises of, the Lord, of Yahweh, his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob. He has appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. And this is the same thing that Moses is saying to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Why? For God is with you. Put your confidence in that. Put your hope in that. That's where the strength and the courage is coming. And he says this, don't be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his deeds and his miracles that he had shown them. This is what we're going to wrap it up with, but I want to bring it back to the point that Moses didn't encourage Joshua by building up Joshua based on Joshua's strengths or his abilities. God's not going to use you based on some personality profile. God probably won't use you in an area where you're just all strength. God likes to use us in areas where he has to be strong, where we're weak. It's a mistake for us to choose what we're going to do with the rest of our life based on what we think we're good at. And it's a mistake for us to put that on our kids because God wants to use them in ways that they are totally unqualified for and only through him is it possible. And I want you to see something in this. Once again, Moses said to Joshua, he didn't say anything about Joshua's ability. He put all of Joshua's confidence in God. Remember, it says here, teach your kids to put their confidence in God and not forget what he did. Because when you tell them what God did, listen, some of you have got stories after story after story, and you think your kids have heard it once, they don't want to hear it again. We need to hear these stories. We need to hear what God did in your life because it builds confidence in God. We got to hear it. But then I want you to see this, and I know we've talked about this before, but it says the men of Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, were archers equipped with bows. What he's saying is they were skilled. They were talented. How much does skill and talent get you? These men were archers equipped with bows. They had skill. They had ability. They had technology. But they turned back in the day of battle. Why? Because they forgot what God had done. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, parents, teach your kids to put their confidence in God. Moses, once again, said to Joshua, be strong and courageous for God is with you. Not be strong and courageous because you've got technology. Not be strong and courageous because you're smart. Not be strong and courageous because you're strong. He says, be strong and courageous for God goes with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. The sons of Ephraim had all 
all the strength, had all the training, had all the technology, and guess where it got them? When the day of battle came, they ran. Because no matter how trained you are, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how educated you are, no matter how much money or technology you've got behind you, if you don't have confidence in God, there will be a day when all your training and all your technology and all your money will not be able to save you in the day of battle. Because your heart fails. But if you can teach your kids, if you can be like Moses and put it into Joshua, be strong and be courageous for God is with you. He will not fail you. You know, after the first battle that the Israelites won, the first big battle they won, God tells Moses, grab Joshua and recite these things to him. And the literal Hebrew says, put it in his ear. Tell him, tell him, recite what God has done. Because Joshua's going to need to remember this later in his life. It's great to give your kids an education. It's great to train them. It's great to give them the tools. But above all that, be strong and be of good courage. For God is with you. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. As Psalm 78 said, remind them, train up their kids and tell the generation and the generation after that, even the generation yet to be born, it says, that they may put their confidence in God. Because in the day of battle, when their technology fails them, when their strength fails them, when their training fails them, there is a God who will never fail them. And in that moment, you know the one thing, the one thing you need not to fail? You need your heart to not fail. Right? We, we miss out on things when our heart fails us and we give up. We run back and we turn back. The word encourage in the English language comes from a compound, compound words in Latin, which means to give heart, take heart. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, all this stuff's going to happen, guys. People are going to persecute you. People are going to come after you. You know, the word persecute means to hunt down. People are going to hunt you down and try to and throw you in prison, try, try to put you to death. Be of good courage. Take heart. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. This is where courage comes from. And I truly believe, and this is the end of it, just like we talked about on Monday night, some of us men who were together, I truly believe we need to get back to the place where we believe that a blessing that we speak has the power of the blessing of God. You know, we say things in our English language like goodbye. Goodbye. Farewell. What do they mean? Goodbye. It means may your bye, may, where, where you go after this, may it be good. Farewell. May you fare well. Other languages are even better. Adios. Adieu. This is saying to God, I bid you to God. Godspeed. What if we meant these things? What if we genuinely meant when we said blessings to you? What if we genuinely believe the moment I say God bless you, something in your life's going to change? If we really believe that, I believe God will back it up. And I believe this, and I'm going to say it again. I know I already said it. But when God said to Joshua, be strong and be courageous, it's just as powerful as when Jesus said, be healed. Or be free. Or God saying, light be. God's words create something. And before Joshua heard it from God, he heard it from Moses. 
God wants to use you to speak words into somebody's life and create things that aren't there. I'm not talking about you speaking of your initiative. I'm talking about you speaking the word of God. You know, you're not going to get to go and just tell Michael, Michael, you're going to be an airline pilot and just tell him that he is, unless that's God's will for his life. But I'll tell you, what we do know and what we can say is what God said. And we say that even if you're talking to a wimp, even if you're talking to a coward, which we all were in some way, when you say be strong and be courageous and you mean it, strength comes, courage comes. And here's why you're strong and courageous, for God is with you. That's the end. That's it. That's all that matters. Amen? Stand up with me.